HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Welcome to Dye Green. I'm Max Sussman. And I'm Kate McCabe. Passing through Ballycastle, a charming seaside town on the Causeway Coast in Ireland's northeast corner, one wouldn't necessarily expect to find a world-class bakery serving sourdough bread and creative, beautiful pastries. After spending time learning and traveling abroad, this is exactly what Kira Hartley and her husband Derek created when they opened Ursa Minor. Not only does Ursa Minor have fantastic breads and pastries, but it's also a cafe, and it serves a really important role as a gathering space in a small town focused around food without a lot of other options like that. Inspired by sourdough and their travels around the world, New Zealand in particular, they returned home, started baking, and haven't stopped since. We had a great conversation with Kira about a lot of topics, including bringing sourdough to Bally Castle and how people responded to it there, the importance of community cafes, and having a gathering spaces around food, the difference between the food culture in the North and the South, and what it's like to be a mother and a small business owner. <laughs> Uh, we first discovered Ursa Minor on our travels about six years ago, and we've loved it ever since. Yeah, and it is like a cu- the cutest, most delicious little sort of unexpected oasis that you pass through and and to have a delightful little stop off for a meal. I'm really excited because I get to see Kira and go on an experience with her in and around Bally Castle on one of our tours in the next couple weeks. And I'm a little jealous because I won't get to go, and I think they actually started making sourdough pizza as well, which they were not doing until very recently, and it's something that we really want to check out. Because their pastries and bread are fantastic, and we've gotten to taste those. Well, you know, one thing that we do talk to Kira about is the pop-ups that they do in Bally Castle and how exciting that is. And I really think Pizza Replicator should do a pop-up there. So okay. count me in. Yeah, I will uh, talk to Kira about that when I see her in a couple weeks. Yeah, I mean, for all we talk on this show about food, Irish food, and, you know, community 
and the way that using local food can support communities. I think Ursa Minor is like one of the sort of quintessential examples of that as being not only a bakery, but also a cafe. You know, when you walk up, you go, there's the bakery downstairs where you can just purchase a few things, but then there's a whole room upstairs where you can sit and eat. And like we mentioned earlier, there's not a lot of other options like that. So it, it became quickly became like a really core part of the town and a really place where people are very loyal to and gather because it's such an important part of the fabric of the community. In bringing sourdough and their pastries into the town of Valley Castle, they're really creating something exciting and building on, on what was there. Historically, communities were often centered around like a communal hearth where people would bring their breads to bake, not having either, not having really commercial bakeries exist yet or the uh, equipment to bake bread in one's home necessarily wasn't always something that everybody had. And so it's cool to see a resurgence of the community rallying around bakeries again as a new generation of sourdough bakeries seems to be kind of popping up everywhere and people in general are really positively responding to that and the way that those bakeries can connect not only to consumers but also to local mills and local farmers growing grains and then kind of helping to recreate these like circular economies so that's a really important part of this conversation as well absolutely it made me think that we tend to think about food culture as as the foundation or something that just already exists in a place rather than something that is constantly evolving and is dynamic and is constituted not just of food traditions, but of what people are currently doing and bringing to a place. And that made me think about what Kira and Dara are doing with Ursa Minor and about how they brought this sourdough culture, which is something that did already exist in Ireland, but perhaps not so much in Valley Castle to Valley Castle. And it's something that, like sourdough, is continuing to to grow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's a metaphor about yeast and the rising. Shout out Bruce Springsteen. Well, I think it's even more, like, I think what you're saying is super true. And it's even more obvious to see it in, say, like a small town. Like Ballet Castle, where there wasn't a sourdough bakery before, and now there is, right? And it really did change a lot of things. And, and people, as you say, really responded to it. And now it's just there as a part of things. People would really miss it if it went away, but it's never going to go away. So we shouldn't even talk about that. Kira, welcome to Dye Green. Thanks for agreeing to talk to us today. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. So for those listeners who don't know, you and your husband, Dara, own Ursa Minor in Valley Castle. Can you start by talking to us a little bit about when Ursa Minor opened and what was your inspiration for opening a bakery? Sure. Um, So Dara and I met in uh, 2010. And then in uh, the autumn of that year, kind of through 2011 as well. We were lucky enough to do a bit of traveling around the world. Um, so we'd kind of sold everything that we had and did this big round the world trip starting in um, a bit of Europe and then South America. And we finished in New Zealand and we lived there for almost a year. And during that time, Dara worked shifts at night and I worked shifts during the day. So we had this kind of like middle of the day meet together in the afternoon. 
So we like inevitably meet in a cafe. <laughs> what else? <laughs> so um, it just kind of started to open our eyes a little bit about the food culture there. And every cafe seemed to have this really, um, they were like unique. So even though it might be um, hundreds of cafes along the same street, everything was offering something different. So they almost weren't in competition with, with each other, but actually kind of a part of a like larger food culture um, that brought people to the area. And so things like sourdough bread, which we'd actually never heard of before we went to New Zealand, um, the all the uh, dedication to using seasonal ingredients and local and from scratch and their pride of having you know, like specific speciality bake um, particular to a certain cafe. So then Dara and I got very used to saying, oh, let's go to such and such because they've got the best hot chocolate or we'll go here because I fancy that, uh, you know, that cake today or whatever. So it was like a really, it was really nice because then we could get this kind of good overall picture of the food there. And so then whenever we came home, um, we couldn't find Sardo. There was one guy who still bakes Sardo in the North Zach's Bakehouse Excellent Bread, but we couldn't really get it anywhere and we couldn't get the sort of gorgeous cakes and things that we were used to. So we just started to do that ourselves. Dara taught himself how to make Sardo and I've been lucky enough always to bake with my mum since I was a child. So I was kind of au fait with most, uh, maybe more straightforward kind of baking, just little sponges and and like cookies and stuff like that so we did that just for ourselves for a while and then somebody a friend of a friend uh, was opening a cafe in Korean and they were which is a town nearby to us and they were looking for a sourdough supplier so we kind of threw our hat in and on that first day we delivered I think three loaves to the cafe and I have this gorgeous little Polaroid picture of Dara with this crate of bread big proud smile on his face and now we bake like over 300 loaves on a Saturday so yes quite amazing that it just went from that um so we were doing that from our kitchen just in our house and then we thought we'd have a go at doing our local market here we have fantastic market in the area the naturally north coast in Glens market and it sort of tours around a bit but in Ballycastle we baked we went down and we sold out in an hour so we were like oh okay Maybe other people are going to like what, we, what we're doing. So it kind of then from that point, oh, me and Dara are big, silly, sort of romantic people and not business heads at all. So <laughs> we didn't have a plan and it all just kind of happened. And everything that was put in front of us, we sort of, you know, grasped and thought, okay, yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. And so after the market, we were able to do a little pop-up shop in a space at the front of a garden centre, which was really beautiful and super tiny. We had about 12 seats, still baking from home with a baby. So that was crazy. (laughs) And then um, in 2017, we got the space that we're in now, which has the bakery down below and a cafe space above on street level. And it just meant that we could do so much more. Um, A lot of why we decided to base ourselves in Bally Castle is just our kind of love of the area. And so it's it's been really nice being on the main street of town and connecting with all our regulars and becoming friends. And yeah, I guess that's where we are now. 
So then you weren't uh, working in restaurants or anything like that before you started this venture. Is that correct? Um, I worked more front of house. So I had, since I was 15, I started working in a gorgeous hotel nearby the Bushnells Inn. And I worked there on and off from when I was 15 till probably I was 25 or something. And uh, it gave me a really good overall picture of hospitality. And I also studied hospitality at university, which kind of seemed like a dossy subject at the time. But now I'm like, yes, I have a degree in this. <laughs> so it's good. Um, so I didn't have any kitchen. I didn't know what I was doing in the kitchen at all. But there was a point um, just after we got married, a fantastic local business in Port Stewart, Works Deli, it's called Jackie, who owns it, gave me the opportunity to do the kitchen. And I, you know, was totally honest with her. I was like, I've never done this before, but I love cooking. Will you give me a chance? And so she did. And she was amazing. She just kind of let me have free reign to bake and cook what I wanted and their ethos is very similar to ours, like very fresh, seasonal, you know, salads and sandwiches, soups and gorgeous, yeah, really gorgeous food. So she gave me that chance and then I knew, yeah, I mean, I can do it. So that's how. The cafe is on the second floor and having, you know, having visited the bakery several times, I feel like it's such an important part of the experience. Was that always an intention to have a cafe where people could sit and kind of have a bit of a gathering place, a community space? Was that always part of the inspiration? Because I know there's obviously people who are very passionate about bread, but the gathering of people isn't quite as important to them. So I'm really interested in in how that came together. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, 100% so dead on there that the, the sense of community was so important to us like Valley Castle is quite a small town We've got about 5,000 I think people that live here um but there's not there's not a lot in the town center and certainly there wasn't a lot whenever we started so the idea of bringing people together or bringing like-minded people together was always top priority but also bringing people in who might not necessarily know much about what we were baking or why we were baking it so um, although having the bakery space below and the cafe space above is fantastic, we always wanted me and Dara to have a presence there so we can always talk to our customers. And then also our staff are really, like they're really engaged in what we're doing. They really have the same sense of, and they have like a sense of pride as well to work for us. They love like the, the philosophy behind our, our baking and our kind of honest approach so the community aspect to it, like we also try and do loads of cool events and things like that to bring people together and different things that maybe wouldn't be happening in town. We don't really have a event space in town at the minute. So we've done all sorts of gigs and collaborations. We've done like dinner events and quizzes, loads of stuff to just try and get people together and, you know, engage in that conversation about food and locality and being together. Definitely. I know that most Americans that visit Ireland often don't venture very much further north than Dublin. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you wrote a little bit about identity and about shunning labels and what it means to live on the island of Ireland in one of your recent posts for your 
newsletter course, which I'm really enjoying. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about like the identity of the place to you, like particularly when it comes to the food culture. Do you think that the food culture in the North is different than the food culture in the South? And do you think that there are certain reasons why you think people should come and visit places like Bally Castle or the Causeway Coast? Yeah, uh, I suppose like from my from my newsletter that I, I was writing about identity, I think for me, there's not really a difference um, between the people of the North and the people of the South. Like to me, we're all one people, one island in terms of kind of how we are. Um, overwhelmingly friendly, maybe a little bit nosy, <laughs> you know, always up for the crack. I think we're very honest people. We're funny and really generous and warm and kind being my main, um, yeah, my main points I would say about Irish people. And I think like, you know, obviously I'm biased, but I do think that is true. I think we are. Um, in terms of the North um, and food culture, I think we might be slightly, I, I'm conscious of not slagging, <laughs> but I would say we're probably slightly behind the South. I think um, after the Celtic Tiger kind of collapse of all that in the South, there became this real community spirit. So then loads of these little farmers markets started popping up. Um, there was like, even in tiny communities, I think there was like a real bring like kind of, collaborative effort to support small producers and um so whenever you whenever you're in the south you find these gorgeous little market stalls or like honesty boxes there's lots of cool little cafes out in the middle of nowhere and stuff like that and I think maybe in the north we don't have that as much so maybe like I suppose we maybe were a little bit more economically privileged at a time but also there's maybe a sense of slightly closed off to your community because like who who is your community you know maybe you're a bit sort of I don't know am I so I think now in the past few years we've really started to ramp up our offering we have loads of cool places to go and eat amazing producers young people like really getting into food um so it's definitely I would say kind of at a tipping point it's like it's starting to really go and identity like food identity wise you know I understand like a lot of people like connect Irish food to these kind of labels of well up north anyway so we've got like um Ulster Fry we have wheat and bread and we have um tray bakes and you know that's all well and good and you know what it's like as well like being labeled or like a, a typical typical American food or whatever typical Irish food I actually find that really, I can find that really demeaning. I think that we have so much to offer. Like we've so much good produce, like telling somebody that our national cuisine is like a 15 tray bake, which is literally like biscuits and glass of cherries and marshmallows mixed together with condensed milk. You know, that's actually, I find that really offensive because it it's sort of saying that we don't, we don't know how to do anything. Um, whereas, you know, this morning I've been working all day and this morning our amazing producer from down the road brought me in like borlotti beans and amazing salad, like mustardy salad leaves, broad beans, peas, courgette, cucumber, 
two types of potato. Like it's just, you know, we have such amazing projects and we have loads of skilled people and we're just getting more and more and more skilled and confident as we go on. So you have to come because it's, you know, it's the greatest. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's the impression that I've gotten through my own travels is also that there seems to be a very exciting kind of burgeoning DIY culture to the food movement in the North. And I don't know if that is, you know, truly representative or maybe if it's because there's, I don't know, more people, more densely populated in, in the rest of the country. So you don't hear as much about those kind of unique things, but I think that's kind of the vibe that I get is that it's a little bit more rustic and there's a lot of people um, like individuals like yourself who have like a vision for a space that they want to create and the kind of food that they want to see. And they're, you know, really making the most of the bounty that they have in their own backyards. Yeah, I'd say that. And I think people also um, see gaps in what we have available and so are quite keen to to fill that gap and do something interesting. Um, I'd say as well for a lot of the people who I know, like friends in the industry up north, there's also a sense of not stepping on each other's toes a little bit. So we're like wildly supportive of each other um, and very conscious of what each other are doing so that we can kind of cross-promote each other to try and keep people in the area and just show them how amazing it is here and to spend some money. <laughs> um, yeah. I wanted to ask about, like, sourdough specifically. I'm a sourdough baker as well, amateur slash whatever hobby uh but really interested in it. I think like the spread of sour, you know, the sort of modern sourdough movement around the world is really, really interesting. And I'm wondering, um, you know, a few things like a, what drew you to sourdough baking in the first place? Um, and then B was there a thought that, you know, sort of along the lines of what you were just talking about, were you ever thinking perhaps, uh, you know, Valley castle, like, is not going to be excited about this kind of bread, which is really kind of different from what probably a lot of people around there are used to eating or grew up eating. Yeah. And, you know, and then obviously you're, you're still open and the baker is so popular. So there has been like a really good response. So was that a big surprise to you or, um, yeah. 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 So, um, first of all, I suppose about the sardo was, so we'd had it in New Zealand, but again, we didn't really know we didn't really know much about it. But um, whenever we started playing around with baking and baking bread, um, I was had just become pregnant at that point, so I was kind of fixated on ingredients, food ingredients, what was in my food because I'm now growing a person, so I need to make sure I'm eating. Because the doctor's very quick to tell you what you can't eat, so. <laughs> to know um what am I actually putting in my body so I think at that point my eyes were really open to what was in bread and the kind of rubbish that you know I can't pronounce most of the stuff that's in modern bread and I don't know why it's there so the attraction to sardo is that it's just flour water salt so there's nothing else in it and um it's also usually made by 
small producers. And so there's a lot of honesty there. It's very transparent and you're supporting then like a small local economy. Um, the sourdough as well, we would often say to people, there's a kind of, oh, yeah, it's like a trendy bread. It's this new like hip bread that is is some kind of modern thing. But, you know, it is one of the oldest breads in the world and you know they think it's thousands and thousands of years um that somebody some cave woman just accidentally left her little mix um and the yeast got in and so sardo was created um so i think that what i was saying about ireland and wheat and soda bread like that's something that people connect us with but that didn't really show up in ireland i think until about the 1890s when bicarb kind of came over here and um Although I love wheat and soda, I mean, yeah, it's great, but it's not really bread. It's just like a scone mixture, really, um, or griddle bread, and that's fine. I actually made my mum's wheaten bread with sourdough starter before, and it was worked out really well. So, but I haven't told her that, so <laughs> just keep that secret. Um, so, the bringing of sourdough bread to Valley Castle definitely, we weren't sure. We really weren't sure how that was going to go, um, but. I suppose first first kind of market customers tended to be people who've moved to Ballycastle from other places or who have lived away from from the town. So we've loads of at that time we'd loads of people that still like commuted to London or they'd lived in Australia or in the states or whatever, and so they knew they knew what the bread was and they were like delighted that they could get it. So then because that kind of drew a crowd and then we always had a queue and then so it's kind of a buzz um I think just more and more people got into it and as time's gone on so much more people are getting savvy about food aren't they like they're really um wondering why why was I eating that should I you know oh am I gluten intolerant or you know so I think there's definitely more interest in it anyway um but we did have somebody said uh, locally oh, do you go to Ursa Meyer? Do you get Sardo? And they're like, why would I buy that? It's half the bread for twice the price. <laughs> so I quite like that. It's like, maybe we should put that on our A for your mindset. Yeah, I would definitely get like a tote bag or something for sure. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> hmm. Sussman's idea. Yeah. <laughs> so people, I mean, obviously people have been, I love that you kind of connected that to the history of, a very recent introduction of soda bread, which a lot of people, I think, I don't know about in Ireland, but definitely outside of Ireland, associate as like sort of the, na- the national heritage, historical bread of Ireland. And it's like, it's such a recent modern industrial age invention, basically. So I think that's a very interesting connection to make. Yeah. And I I actually brought home today, I, I bought some barley, I've brought in some barley flour. Um, and work because I was reading in uh, a book, I'm sure you've read The Green Larder by Margaret Hickey, amazing book. And uh, she was she talks a lot about bread in there and um, talking about the barley, barley bread, probably like a flat bread, really, like kind of, I suppose, like oat cake kind of thing. So I thought I'd have a bit of a practice with that at home and see if I could kind of come up with a kind of homage to the past, but with like an Irish grain and, you know, try and, because I think that's so interesting. Like people don't, they don't really question it. Right. It's like with my mum's wheat and bread, you know, she makes it still probably like two, three times a week. And it's brilliant and we love it. And like, 
my kids love it and everything. Um, but it never occurred to me to like question where she was getting her flour from because mm-hmm. she would just buy it in the supermarket and it's an Irish brand. So why would you not think that that flour, the grain initially came from Ireland? And so it's like whenever you dig a little bit deeper, as with any of these things, you're starting to get like, oh God, like what? This is coming from like Russia or Canada and it's like some horrible um, monoculture of wheat and then it's like stripped apart by those horrible laser mills and then the brand's added back in but there's like zero nutritional value to it and I think um all that sort of like ramps up your kind of your your fear of industrialized food so yeah I'm always trying to look at stuff from the base like if I can bring it back and then if somebody asks me in in our cafe space then god help them I will (laughs) go through it (laughs) This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheese-making traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheese-making culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old-world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheese-making craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. We have a lot of conversations with people about that in Ireland. And on our podcast earlier, we had um, Karen from Happy Tummy, who I think um, also like when we visited um, mills, um, people are, you know, people who are in either like the milling business, like milling grains or who are making bread. Bakeries always talk about how when people eat their bread, they feel better. And, you know, people are always connect the dots between like, we know a lot of people who have what they would call gluten sensitivity, but then they eat, they would eat a homemade sourdough bread that is made with, um, really great flour. Um, you know, and lo and behold it, they don't feel bad after they eat it. And so I think it's something that I, I just love talking to people about because it's so important and it's something that people don't really think about when they when they buy bread or when they eat bread they're they're not really even though they're conscious and you can see the list of like a hundred additives or something on the side of a conventional bread they're not really they're not really like knowledgeable about what what that process is like yeah yeah and um, yeah, that's like, it's really sad, isn't it? That that's the way like our food industry is gone, that people maybe read the back of a packet and think, oh, well, that must be how you have to make bread then. Like that is the way it has to be. Um, but I think that, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely changing. I think people are definitely becoming more aware. Once I get aware, got aware of the bread, then I'm like, oh, well, how do you, how does like the pasta get made? <laughs> the shop or you know how does the cheese get made or you know then you you sort of are more switched onto it but it's uh for me as well so important in our little small town of our like gorgeous regular people and 
not to come across as arrogant or pretentious because Sardo already has that that label, like I was saying earlier, this like hipster label, and it, so they're already frightened to come in. Um, so it's always like if I if I can be like as open and honest and like you know just try it, it's fine, and yeah. this is a space for everybody. You're you're so welcome here. Like try it if you don't like it, it's fine. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, totally. So you you were talking about barley and oats, and like I know a kind of a pop more recent popular bread trend is to make like porridge breads. You know, a lot of times people would make a polenta yeah. bread or you know or an oat or an oat bread. Are you doing anything like that with with the oats or barley or any other local grains? Yeah, yeah, we we do an oat. We do like a, a soaked oats, like a porridge loaf, like you're saying there. Um which we love putting on when our manager is working because she's Scottish. And so she says, soaked oat. <laughs> and uh, we, we just love having her to say that every day. I'm sure um, beautiful, lovely, knowledgeable Karen was mentioning to you about Emma down in Oak Forest Mills, or maybe you were, you were talking to her too. So like we use a lot of her flour. So we, we use Emma, einkorn, spelt and and her regular wheat flour and then we also use um some gorgeous rye flour from Ballymore Organics from James and we use the Ballybrado oats at the moment um we try and, and get as much Irish grain as possible I about I guess eight months ago completely um changed all our, all our recipes on my side of the bakery so and more like pastry and cakes and things and, and biscuits and things like that. And I switched all our recipes to only Irish grain. So we, we don't actually use any any other flour in our stuff, and which is a really nice um, thing to be able to talk about. If we get the chance, we will talk through like, and the different flavor profiles as well. It's so gorgeous to be working with those, with those flours. I love it. That, but um... we have, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 you go ahead. You go ahead. <laughs> no, like I know, um, like for, it's my understanding that like Irish flour is lower in protein, which would make it more suited towards the pastry and, and the cake type applications. Is that is that true? I mean, I think that is like partly a myth too. Emma would say that's like the reason why people don't grow it, whereas it's not necessarily the case. And she has had um, bread or flour, sorry, um, or grains with, with high enough protein, absolutely high enough protein. But I do know, yeah, that it can be trickier to work with, which can, for us anyway, because we have a lot of wholesale customers, you know, they expect the bread to look a certain way. And so if you introduce more of the grain, then it's sort of um, more hydration probably. And so maybe the loaves are going to turn out slightly different to what maybe they're wanting it for a sandwich or a specific size or something like that. But then it's all about gentle um, for knowledge. Like you're like, this is better for you. And this is like supporting a whole like Irish local economy. And, you know, we need to all kind of be in it together. Yeah. We heard, or like, obviously, the Ukraine situation affected like grain exports, and you know, you hear news stories about that. But was that something that you experienced directly? Was it making it harder to find flour, or having to find different flour, or anything like that? Um, actually, no. For us, it didn't have any effect. We the extra flour that we get comes from, uh, well, two different uh, Shipton Mill 
um, in England and wild farmed. And it, there wasn't there wasn't really an issue. Wild farms all grown in England and they um Shipton is a mixture between English and somewhere else I can't remember but um there wasn't an issue and actually during COVID we sold flour to people too because they couldn't get it but yeah we were fine <laughs> that's a good example of another benefit of using uh local local yeah their supply chains then just those things don't affect you as much I suppose yeah yeah exactly and yeah, that's the nice thing, you know, if we're running out or running low, you know, it's always, I mean, we're a small island, it's not that far to go, <laughs> to go pick it up. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. So you opened in 2017, um, which is about six years ago. And have you seen the food landscape change at all around Valley Castle or the area where you live since you opened the shop? Yeah, so uh, we opened our, our first shop in 2014, but our our other space was opened in 2017. So at that time, there wasn't a huge amount of of places to eat other than maybe um, the bars in town and a few cafes. And um, then further afield, quite a lot of chain cafes and things like that popped up. But I would say... Yeah, it's certainly changing. It's it, it was quite slow to get going, I think. We are getting more interest in places to eat, a better understanding of food from the people that are supplying it. So, you know, for me, being such a massive, proud homebird from this area, um, a lot of what I was seeing whenever we came back was like the exact same, like Rice Krispie Square or like millionaire shortbread or whatever the exact same one in like every cafe and you know we had like over a million visitors to the giant's causeway so like is that like the best we can do that we've just bought like a frozen tray bake with like crap ingredients and these people are coming from all over the world like it, it was embarrassing to me like I yes of course those things have their place and that's fine but for me I'm like I've decided to like bring my family up here. Like I'm proud. I want to show what we can do and we can do better than that. So I think now there's a lot more of that too. We have had loads of people, like loads of my peers have moved home with their families. Lots of people actually um, not from here, moving to here. And I think there's a lot more interest and uh, to integrity and like better quality. Yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, obviously, like, you know, y- you have a lot to do with that because <laughs> to the extent that there's like other things opening up, I think it's because you probably did a lot of work in paving the way and showing because I think maybe other people thought similarly, but then didn't want to take the risk of being like, oh, well, everyone else is doing it. So I guess that does work. OK, you know, why would I do something different? Why would I stick my head out there? But then you came along and showed that actually that can work really well. So. I think that's a lot. Well, yeah, well, like that's yeah, and it's always like really humbling if you think about it like that. And I, I don't know how much I could I could definitely take that on, but I guess maybe I remember whenever we opened our second place, we asked John McKenna to open for us. Um, and he said, like, you know, where there's good things, more good things will come. And I remember at the time thinking, oh, my God, he's right. Like, so exactly what you're saying. If we've opened our doors, then maybe, you know, we still don't really have 
a restaurant in Ballycastle. So I'm like, come on, somebody, please open a restaurant. Um, and I'm like, is it going to be me? <laughs> 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 there's definitely this real, yeah, there's definitely a change, isn't there? There's a change. Um, our friends have opened an amazing restaurant, Lear over in Corian. And, you know, like they're doing a tasting menu with all our, like all pretty much like North Produce and fish. And it's like, wow, you know, where did that come from? It was amazing. So exciting. Yeah. And you also opened a second shop, correct? And yes. that's, that was just in the last few months or a year? Yeah. So back in the year that COVID came, 20, um, we had thought about doing it in, in Ballantoy. I grew up just a mile from Ballantoy. So it's got a wee special place in my heart. I love it. Um, so we had to just shelve that when COVID came. There's no point. And then I think we got thinking about it again, I suppose, before Christmas, maybe. And we thought, yeah, it could like could be a goer. I go to Ballantoy quite a lot with the kids. There's a really good play park there. <laughs> um, it's just one of those really gorgeous little villages that's just like one street. So um, you're just going to just pass right through it. And it's got this really spectacular walk from the village. You can walk around the cliffs of Larry Ban and you can walk all the way out to Cargary Rope Bridge and it's totally stunning. Or down, it, down to Ballantoy Harbour, which uh, again is like, jaw-droppingly gorgeous um so I'm always like you know people need more time they need to stay get them to stay so that they can see how good it is um so I suppose partly because of that and so I could get coffee when I was at the park um I thought yeah let's let's give it a go and it's the tiniest little space it's so cute it's like a little wardrobe <laughs> so it's just yeah it's pretty much just takeaway but there's a lot of um coaches stop in Ballantoy as well so yeah it's it's a tricky one actually to get the balance because we're one member staff out there so where they they're either like ah those people <laughs> or just kind of twiddling their thumbs a bit I think <laughs> funny like when we do tours um you know we don't do big groups like it's always 12 or less but a lot of the coach drivers are like where are you going to stop? Where are you going to stop? We, I, I want to call ahead. I want to call ahead because they know it's that same thing where it's like there. If if you stop and you bring twelve or forty people to a little cafe where someone, yeah. one person making making espresso drinks, it's like, yeah, you better stop if you can. So yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. Yeah, we don't have a phone in there, so <laughs> just have to. <laughs> try your luck but I did do um just talking about grain as well I just uh I thought oh it'd be nice if Ballantoy had a wee hook and um Dara's sister who works for us out there said people keep asking for ice cream so I was like oh we should do ice cream sandwiches so um we do these so now um again like to try and promote the Irish grain we've got these gorgeous little like shortbread sandwiches with like a parfait so today I did hazelnut and spelt biscuit and it had meringue vanilla and like a summer fruit swirl mm, so good and also chocolate and rye shortbread with oh you know mods ice cream here have this really popular flavor belgian chocolate so obviously i did irish chocolate from mm. our pals down in neary noakes gorgeous chocolate down from county down and did that so yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was good yeah <laughs> 
That sounds great. So you make those at the main shop and then transport them over? Yeah, very quickly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I would hope so. Uh, So cool. So do you have any other like plans for, you know, growing your, growing the business or any like new ventures or, you know, you do a little wholesale, like what, what, I guess what is in your mind about what's next for you guys over the next Yeah. Um, at the moment we are opening a, a bakery school in the building across the road. Um, so I don't know when it's, it's kind of, you know, one of those things that you thought it was going to be ready like months ago, <laughs> but hopefully it'll be ready um, October, November time, I think. Um, so it's just like gorgeous, just like dedicated space for us to teach. And um, at the minute, if we're doing any teaching, it has to be when the bakery and cafe are closed. So then that kind of eats into Dara and our family time a bit. So um, we wanted to do it whenever. Yeah, like we, so we could do it whenever. And uh, so this space is going to be for that. And then also today, Dara has lit the pizza oven that we've had in the bakery space for about two years. <laughs> oh, that's people- cool. I didn't know it was yeah. there for that long. I saw that it was lit, so oh. it was really exciting. Yeah. So people had, bless them, people kept asking, yeah, he's starting to do pizzas. And so anyway, it's just one of those things, isn't it? Like, there's so much on. And yeah. it's pretty... Originally, Dara and I really wanted to do it together, but the kids, the kids. So, yeah. About that, because you had written about that also in your newsletter. And, you know, we have an eight year old, and then we had a baby in January. And um, when you're working for yourself, it's hard. Even if you have support, I think you said something about like all of the ideas that you have and being and having to kind of have to sort of write them all down, I guess, so you don't forget and there'll be time for them later. People don't talk about that often enough, I think. No, and it's like a massive sense of frustration, I think, because, you know, you're faced with all these, you know, obviously you're delighted that you've had a baby and you're lucky enough to have a family. Like, that's amazing. Yes, wonderful. But the hold, the putting your life on hold, like your own, your own life, like your own aspirations, your own career, I think that, as you say, is something that's not talked about and it's frustrating to the point of, you know, um, despair. Like sometimes I would have felt like, right, well, that's it. You know, it's too late for me to try that now. Or, you know, you see other people maybe doing the idea that you had and you're like, oh, right, well, that's gone. And I, I do, I find that I, at the time, I remember because um, I breastfed all, all the kids as well and <laughs> So sometimes that real, like, you know, middle of the night, you're like hitting your head against the wall nearly like, I can't, I can't believe, you know, this, is this it? Um, but also like, lovely baby, gorgeous. I yeah. love you so much. <laughs> 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 it's mad. I, I, you know, even now I wonder like how to react when people tell me that they're expecting and I'm like, oh, it's amazing. Talk to you after. <laughs> i mean it is like it's something that we've talked about a lot but there's so much focus on on like what happens before you actually have a living baby like there's so much about um pregnancy and about the delivery and then you're just like okay now we have this 
little thing that needs to be taken care of 24 hours a day. Oh, nobody really talks yeah. about that, right? I know. It's so, well, I think there's kind of a bit of a stigma, isn't there, about kind of advising people how best to look after their baby. Like, it's impossible. Like, no baby's the same. No parent's the same. I find, there's no point trying yeah. to get that advice. I find that I get the most unsolicited advice from um, people that won't have so strange, <laughs> strange, but oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah, it's the same if you've you know babysat a lot, you know, or if you have like a little brother or something. But yeah, yeah, it's all oh they, gosh, mean I know. Well. they mean well. So, so that's good. But yeah, I mean, it's a. I know that's yeah. It's a very. I find I find you have to be so like a very gentle approach to, you know. I I often just am like you guys are the expert for your baby, so but this is what I did or I don't know. It's very hard. I have to say, you know, uh, other than being like, you know, your own boss and, and, and running your own business, which is in and of itself, just an incredible thing. I think for a child to, to grow up seeing, I also think there are a lot of really beautiful things about raising children in um, a food environment, you know, especially the kind of place that, that you and your husband are running. Um, Yeah. So they eat, they eat, better than most kids probably <laughs> yeah well they could be better slightly better but um thank god they eat they eat sardo like that's you know i suppose it, it makes up so much of people's diet doesn't it bread like two meals a day maybe with some bread so if they're eating sardo then yeah this is a good help for them but do they sneak you know, minor the old pastries <clears throat> cooks and cake, cakes and everything too <laughs> Yeah, I know. My my daughter, she just turned three yesterday. She um my mom looks after her on a Thursday and they come in for breakfast and she gets a morning bun and it's like ten past nine, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like they're so big compared to them, you know, like a pastry yeah. of an adult human compared to like a three year old. You're like literally ten times as big, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so cute. They're either going to grow up with like a very good work ethic and and a really good understanding of what it takes to take an idea and make it reality, or they're going to like run as far as they can from <laughs> any of that stuff and go into like a completely different. Yeah, the middle child wants to be an adventurer, and then he'll come back and work in the bakery. It's like okay, <laughs> good for you. Go be an adventurer. Well, that's what you guys were doing. You were off adventuring in New Zealand and then you came back. Yeah, I know. So good to see the world. So, so good. Yeah. And Ballycastle is also such a beautiful place. It's stunning. Yeah. We're so lucky. Like I, you know, some days you just, wow, you can't believe like that you, you're so lucky, like nipping down to the beach. It's only a couple of miles from our house, you know, for a swim and sunsets and yeah, we're really gorgeous. wood just about a mile and a half from our house and it's like an ancient oak wood it's so gorgeous yeah and so rare. so rare in ireland hugely yeah okay so i have to ask a few more pizza questions i think so pizza is like a new it's a new part of the bakery is it available for lunch for dinner or what's the plan yeah i think the minute, at the minute throughout the summer i think dara's gonna try and do it just one night a week cool. um I hope that then we will be able to do it more. I'd love to, you know, I quite like the idea of it being available for lunch and stuff too. 
Um, but the lighting of the fire and all this is sort of, and the staffing of it is quite tricky. But yeah, I'd love it to be available more. And then, you know, using the the cooling down of the oven for cooking stuff as well would be great. I think Dara's not willing to commit to regular pizza. He's like, I'm going to call it like the pizza social club. So it sounds like it's a bit, you know, it can happen whenever. Who knows? It's <laughs> yeah, kind of very wise because once you get into that regular schedule, it's like, if people come and they want pizza and it's not there, they're going to be not happy. I know. <laughs> then you're like, I know. I know. I know. Together, you know. This is a tricky thing, but this, that happens all the time anyway with the Instagram, you know, stick something on in the morning, uh, like some pastry or something. And then somebody comes at two o'clock and you're like, what? <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> two o'clock. how this works. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward to coming and spending some time with you in September. Oh my gosh, it's going to be so nice. I'm so looking forward to it. It's going to be cool. I did have another question. Sorry. I did want to talk yeah. a little bit about, you know, the food community and and you, some of the collaborations that you do and some of the folks that you choose to work with. I mean, yeah. there's probably like a lot more than I am aware of, but, you know, I know that you work with Claire McQuillan and and Sinead and some of the uh, some uh, plenty of other folks and I just kind of wanted to hear yeah. your philosophy. We have a very strong philosophy of collaboration as well. Yeah, and um, just kind of wanted to hear what you think about that and how you choose who to work with. And you know, sometimes people feel like they need to go it alone and like build their brand and do all these things. But I think you have a different approach to this. Yeah. So um, we did always do these dinners or supper clubs whenever we got the new actually we did them in the old space as well <clears throat> so we have been doing the dinners since maybe like I suppose 2015 in some shape or form and um even then we did a few kind of collaboration ones but uh the main drive of it was to provide something different for people in Valley Castle so as I was saying there's not really a restaurant so um it was like well, this is the sort of food that I like and you like our bread. So maybe you like the food that we do too. And um, in a bakery setting, it's not always easy to put a spotlight on the, on some of the, pro- like some of the gorgeous produce, you know, you can always work with like these amazing bits of vegetables and stuff, just like through pastry. So it can get a little bit tricky. So it's a great opportunity whenever there is load, like an abundance of gorgeous um, projects to be able to do a dinner and, and showcase that and tell people about our producers. The collaborations like more recently, so I had Karen come up from Happy Tummy, um, Beth O'Brien, who was working down at Valley Malou at the time. I've had, oh my goodness, Mike's Fancy Cheese, Lorna from Taikachina, and um, had a couple of guys over from Scrambled in London. Um, I had, I can't forget anyone who else came. Oh, Tara Gartland. So chocolate, chocolateer. Um, there was two others, I think. Um, oh, um, Anna Hyam from uh, London. She, she's an amazing pastry chef. And I have my next five, like, in Ooh. here. And um, they're going to be running in the autumn time. So I'm just firming updates with all those people at the minute. And I think a lot of that came from whenever I had Eski, our youngest, and then coming back to work. 
even though she's my third, I, I still felt like this big disconnection from the food industry while I was off and maybe partly because of COVID and stuff. But I felt like there was like this big void of like, oh, I used to know people and now I don't know anyone and I don't really know what's happening. And, <laughs> you know, I can't, I'm like, oh, I'm lost and I need to know people. And, you know, I'm, I'm quite an honest and upfront uh, person. So I'm just like, hi, do you want to come and do, you know, I like you. Come here. <laughs> so um, there's there's definitely a lot of that. I I just like really appreciate people that have a similar ethos to me, and um, I love bringing people to Valley Castle because it is so special. Like our regulars <clears throat> or people that come to the dinners, for the most part, they don't care what they're going to be served necessarily. It's just like they want to be part of this uh, social night out. Everybody sits communal. Um, it's just a lovely get together and it's an opportunity to try food that they haven't probably tried in, in our locale before. So it's, it's all that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's great. Well, we can't wait to hear who the next five are. Oh, yeah. Have to follow up on that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and try some I can't say in case they say no. <laughs> and come for the mystery pizza night. Oh yeah. Cool. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time and for sharing. Oh, wait, I had one more question. What's why <laughs> oh, use the name? The name, the name. I wanted oh, to Oh yeah. What does it mean? Like what does it mean well, to you? Well, um, whenever we were um thinking of a business name and I was pregnant, we were calling the bump little bear mm. with our little bear. So a uh, little bear on Latin's Ursa Minor. Um also the constellation um which has the north star so the north and the baby it's very romantic yeah, beautiful. <laughs> thank you <laughs> <laughs> i should have led with that but on the on that note <laughs> thanks so much for talking to yeah, us thank today. you so much thank you for having me and we'll see each other in real life yes absolutely we will. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dyed Green is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe. Dyed Green is a project of Bog and Thunder, whose mission is to highlight the best of Irish food and culture through food tours, events, and media. Find out more at bogandthunder.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any story suggestions, questions, or things you'd like to share in response to our broadcast, you can email us directly at diedgreen at heritageradionetwork.org.